All right, and we're live. Uh, so welcome back to what is episode seven of Redesign Growth. This is a special episode because uh, we're joined by Vivek Bhaskaran, uh, the CEO of Question Pro. Uh, Vivek is uh, a great friend, a mentor, an investor, uh, occasional ball buster. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but overall, like uh, he is someone that has immense industrial knowledge in terms of in terms of the market research space and then also just knowledge to know how to build and scale an enterprise SaaS product. So uh, as you know, the thesis of this podcast is if we talk to enough smart people, will we be able to unearth the relationship between product design, product experience and growth? So Viv, thanks for joining us today. Uh, how's it going? Great. Thank you so much. Um, before we begin, I think you're the first guy on a podcast who's uh, pronounced my name correctly. So on the money with the Bhaskar and the last name, because obviously yeah. you're from India and you know how to pronounce yeah. it correctly, you know, on the spot. So thank you so much. But anyway, so. Yeah, no, thank um, you so much for joining you. us, Vivek. <laughs> 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 uh, no, but, uh, but yeah, like, you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of time. I want to make sure that we make the most of this time. And I think what would be really helpful is it, just a context set. If you could tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, about how you end up starting Question Pro and uh, where you're at now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, the short short version is uh, I started Question Pro because I hated my day job. Uh, I had a shitty boss, I guess. So, I, in fact, I was joking with somebody. Is like, you know, entrepreneurs nine out of ten times they kind of hate their boss and they kind of start start something. Uh, and so, um, so I started Question Pro back in two thousand five, two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, I ran it for about four or five years. Uh, took a break, did a couple other startups, uh, and then came back to run Question Pro in two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen. It's been running it since then um just to kind of give you context we are about 30 million bucks in revenue all up we have about 300 employees um you know you know vast majority of them in india about 200 180 employees in india 40 employees in mexico and then about you know 60 employees spread uh for the rest of you know to the rest of the planet uh, we have offices here in the states obviously and then also in the uk dubai uh, canada and uh uh, and Germany, uh, and of course, Latin America and India. So we are kind of globally from that perspective. And, uh, uh, and so uh, that's, that's, that's who we are. That's awesome. Um, so I think, I think right off the bat, uh, a, a great question here is, uh, to, to, put it, to put it mildly, like Question Pro's operations are vast and global. And then also Question, Pro, Question Pro's product stack is pretty diversified. Like you guys have obviously your core research platform, but you have a lot of like specialized research solutions uh, and, and like market research solutions, uh, you know, workforce for HR, et cetera. So you have all of these distinct use cases, distinct user personas, so on and so forth. So what I would love to know is for, for you as the CEO, right? How do you think about the relationship uh, between your product and, and, and growth? So like if, if, if you are thinking hmm. about thinking about adding a new feature or, or as you have in recently acquire, uh, acquired a tool for its tech, et cetera. Like how do you, how do you think about um, your product and product decisioning as it relates to the growth of question pro? Yeah. So uh, the way I think about kind of products and you talked a little bit about personas is um, you'll see a lot of people talk about, you know, ICP, which is, you know, ideal customer profile kind of stuff. So the way I think about it is you, you look at a rule, a role in an organization, all right? And you find out all the tools and technology that role needs to function. 
and then say like, look, can you build around that, right? So can you build all the tools that a person needs? You know, classic example is Salesforce, right? So you look at Salesforce, they said like, look, I'm going to put the VP of sales in the center of our, our universe. Put the VP of sales in everything that the VP of sales needs, we're going to try to build, right? That's how you build a platform around them, right? right. So, you know, you know, in, in our case, we actually have three different personas, three different roles. One is the head of insights. So they put mm-hmm. the head of insights in the middle of the middle of the spectrum and say, what are they spending money on? What kind of tools, technology? What are they? What do they need to get done? And that that typically involves qualitative research, quantitative research, audience services, um, and insights repository. So these are the different things that we've identified in 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 that in that particular roles. Um, kind of success of that role is dependent on that effectively. So, so that's an interesting, that's the way I think about growth is like, okay, so mm-hmm. you start off as a feature or a tool you want to build for a particular role, but slowly you, you know, go to the left, go to the right, go around them and say like all the different things that they need, um, you start building upon, upon that. Then that's how we've kind of grown, um, grown our business over the course of the years is we put the head of insights on one side, then, you know, for, for the CX side of our business, which is the head of CX, head of customer experience and say all the things that that person needs. And then, um, and then for the, for the employee, employee experience side, it is the head of HR. So like, okay, what are, what are all the things that they're spending money on, what they're doing? Um, and so I put that, I put a role in the middle and then, and then find, find all the tools and, and, and things that the people are building on top of that and, and go down that process. Right. Uh, I think I think that's a that's a great way. I mean, that is that is almost the very definition of of user centric, right? Or, or or like persona centric. You literally have them at the center of your universe. Um, I think I think it's also most- economically very viable if you think about it. Then then your tool again uh, part of part of the reason why I do it that way. Or it's not only me. Almost everybody does it that way. Is because then you can get the hundred percent of the share of wallet. So if you if you just go back to it, you know, bottom line economics is. You know, if you're not doing it, somebody else will effectively do the other way around, right? So you're competing in this environment. So if you do not provide those tools, um, and if it, if it is fundamentally needed for that role to be successful, then somebody else is going to do it. So it's actually an economic. I mean, apart from being customer centric, it's also an economic economic construct. Right. Um. And but but in terms of in terms of like you know as, as you're going around block and 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 for us like just in terms of parallel experience, right? Like we we're trying to bridge out from like our UX, like our, our usability testing piece to like product analytics and, you know, we're building a repository of our own. And there's this idea of, of like, hey, you know, th- these are all the functions like this job role requires. Uh, but in terms of envisioning, like how we build a tool that suits that role, I feel like we brush up against the thing of, hey, this is what this person wants. And then mm-hmm. here's my vision of how I, I attempt to solve the problem, right? And, and like, the, these two are not always necessarily the same. In fact, seldom, like they're seldom the same thing, uh, like what mm-hmm. the person wants and then what, what I think will solve it. So mm-hmm. how, how do you, like, what is your process for being like, hey, I know this is something that's going to hit home. Um, where, where, like, you know, when you, have, when you have intent to build something, uh, how do right. you know that that's, that's actually going to solve, uh, solve for what you're trying, for the person you're trying to solve for? Yes. Yeah, so, so the way I've thought about it is the 80-20 rule. So 80% of our effort is to make sure that stuff that you're currently working on, stuff that's operational, that you are, we are more efficient with the customer, right? So basic stuff like, you know, stuff that I, you can go to the customer and say, hey, tell me what I can do to make your life easier. And they'll literally give you a litany of, you know, 45 different things, realistically, right? And mm-hmm. you go, 
80% of your energy has to be spent on making those 85 things smarter, better, faster, um, et cetera. And then 20%, you actually don't go to your customer. 20% is like, okay, look, based on what I understand, what you are trying to do, I think you'll need this thing in two years. I think you'll need something else in three years, right? And that's your forward-looking bet. Uh, mm-hmm. So one is like, you can think of it as one is kind of operational. You're, you're, you have a high probability of you know, charging more or asking for more money if you fix those 80% realistically, right? They, because they're telling you like, look, these, these are the kind of things that we do. And you kind of look at all the customers and you kind of say, all right, most of them are asking for conjoint analysis. So, okay, we, we love to do conjoint analysis. Most of them are asking right. for max diff. Most of them are asking for that. And then you can look at and look into the future and say like, well, nobody really is asking for, you know, are clamoring for a, a research repository tool, for example, right? Nobody's asking, yeah, like, oh, well, okay, it's kind of a problem. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's not a problem. But you know what you need to do is to fix, you know, we need a better way of, you know, doing analysis or we need a better dashboard. Let's put it that way. It's pretty straightforward. So that's kind of sure. like, you know, so the balance is between, what you kind of do operationally to enhance your customers and then what you do strategically and the bets that you want to place to kind of move the ball further. So, and, and we, in my mind, at least I follow generally and probably it's like more like, you know, 70, 30 for me, um, but that, you know, some range there are realistically, you know, you can go from 70, 30 to 90, 10 is that is the range. Um, and some people just do 100%, like, oh, I'll only focus on the customer and existing problems. I think that that's a challenge. At some point, you'll just run out of, like, you know, efficiency. You, know, you run, the point of diminishing returns will come into play. Okay, I'll solve all the problems. But realistically, we're not moving the ball further. We're not expanding the TAM. We're not expanding um, the, the, the market potential. Uh, and it's a subjective argument, honestly, right? I mean, at what scale do you do what, right? I've been criticized for, you know, spreading the butter too thin. And, you know, look, you're doing 18 different things. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, I've been criticized for the other way around too. So, you know, I don't give a shit. I, you, know, you get criticized anyway, so fuck off yeah. is the answer, probably. This, <laughs> right. this is kind of uh, econo model stuff, right? That last 20, 30% right. is the, the stuff where you get the increasing returns if you do add it. But you first got yeah. to compare the linear stuff. Yeah, the first the first part is I wouldn't say kind of linear or nonlinear. I would say that you have a high probability of solving a particular problem and extracting extracting value. Simply, at the end of the day, you're trying to solve problems, extract some value. The the, the newer stuff has low probability. So the, the market may not bear. Simply, right? I mean, yeah, we think that this is how I'll solve the problem. But then you have to kind of like get it to market and get people adopting. And there's like 18 different other variables if you think about it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you could be bad in timing. Let's take timing as an example. Like, I mean, you may, you know, you know, you know I'm in the customer experience business. The first 10 years, I mean, between 2005 and 2010, nobody gave a shit about customer experience, right? I mean, you know, literally like Medallia in the, you know, started off in 2002 till 2010, they made 3 million bucks. Go look at the, look at their S1 filing. Like, you know, 10 years they were, they were in business and they made $3 million. Uh, and then in 2010, 2011, you know, whole planet shifted towards kind of customer experience and they took off realistically, right? right? So mm-hmm. it's not that what they were preaching was good or bad. It's just that it didn't hit, it didn't hit, uh, hit the right tone. It didn't uh, hit the market. Market timing is also equally important. Uh, right. And so you don't know when you're going to hit it. So, so those are the 20% bets. So you don't know whether the 20% bets going to hit today or tomorrow or the day after. Uh, mm-hmm. And you don't control that. Honestly, none of us control it. It's it's market. I mean, it's market potential. It's not that, let's take a look at AI. It's not that AI has not been around, but like, honestly, like last three months, everybody's yeah, talking about been, it. Yeah. But 
it's been around for obviously more than three months. Sure. <laughs> it's literally, right? So now yeah. it's completely acceptable to have AI in your tool. But if you were to kind of pitch AI as part of your platform one year ago, mm-hmm. probably, probably not going to land. Not at least not, not, not going to land the way it lands today. Um, so right. again, market, market timing is also equally important. So, uh, I, so in terms of in terms of like you know th- this concept of landing, I, I really want I, I want to delve a little deeper into to what it means, like how you as the CEO feel like, hey, your product has succeeded. Because I feel you know we on the show we've talked to like multiple people, we've been spoken to Dan, like who's the head of uh, head of Question Pro Research, and and uh, like for for I feel like at each level there's this notional sense of like metrics that, that you use to define like your product success. And as, as it like goes up the pyramid, like, you know, up the chain, I feel like they they get more and more linked to bottom line growth. So I want to understand like for you, right. uh, Outside uh, uh, and and maybe I have a follow-up question to to your initial answer, but, but uh, how do you, how do you view success? Like, how do you know that something is landed? Uh, I think for newer products, it's usage. So like do the 80, 20 rule. For the 80%, it's actually revenue. So if you're mm-hmm. doing what customers want you and you're not expanding revenue, then you're not adding value. As mm-hmm. simple as that, right? So if, if you if some people come and say, hey, I want Kanja and MaxDiff, I want this and that, and they're no, but I'm, I'll only pay you, you know, $1 for it. Well, obviously the two are incongruent. So you, you right. should be able to justify value and say like, look, we, if we build these features, we have to increase price. Um, and that is the bottom line, really, right? I mean, there's no way, there's no, in my mind, for bread and butter stuff, there's no other no other metric that matters. You can't come to me and say, at least we in, in Question Pro, you know, you can't come to me and say, hey, we added these features onto our survey platform and usage has gone up. I don't care. Has revenue gone up, right? If revenue doesn't go up, uh, it's irrelevant. For newer products, is the opposite. The newer mm-hmm. products are not going to get revenue uh, upfront because there's no budget for it, typically, for new brand new products. I mean, look, nobody's, nobody's budgeted for it. Nobody knows what it is. And for those, I rely on usage metrics. Like, are people using the platform, right? Are, you know, how many logins per day, daily active users? I mean, I think the simplest way for product companies to look at it is like, you know, how many people are logging into your platform every day? I mean, you can, right. that, that is the one metric that every single gaming company uses. If you look, and, right. and gaming is all about usage and then get, like that's a daily active users, right? Yeah. So I think we could borrow something, SaaS companies, even B2B SaaS companies. Like if you are, you know, uh, if you're anchoring on usage, it's going to work, right? Because now right. you're focused on usage. You make sure that you have feedback loops, you have, you know, viral loops baked into your product to make sure people are coming back to your product. If people are not using your product, then it's kind of, you know, yeah, I mean, you built a cool tool, but nobody gives a shit and nobody's using it. No, who cares, really? Um, right. So I think those are, the, those are the two metrics. On one side, for the bread and butter stuff, it's got to be revenue. Um, for new stuff, it's got to be usage. That's at least my viewpoint. Yeah, so so my follow-up there, right, is mm-hmm. like... Like with the new products, like I think the usage metric, like, you know, you're looking at your Dow and Mao and stickiness and things like that. At, at what point, like, you know, does the baton hand off to like where you where you pivot from caring about usage to to like revenue or monetization? And, and, and the thing is, like when you're driving usage, like one strategy is, hey, I might just give it to you for free, but it's not always the go to way. It's not like, hey, I give it to you for free. And I run this for like six months and then I start charging you for it. Like, that's not how everyone on the planet does it. Like you're trying to do these things sort of simultaneously, right? Like where I'm new to the market and like I'm, I, I'm still charging for this thing I'm putting out new. So 
but initially I care about usage. And I think that that rings true. But how does the baton handoff happen? Like when, like at what point do you start thinking about the success of the product differently? I think one way to, at least the one way I think about it is some benchmark. You, you kind of start out with some benchmark. Of, look, if we can get this many customers to use this product consistently, at that point, we should start kind of expanding our revenue funnel. Um, mm-hmm. And this is very subjective. I, I will argue that, you know, I know I know of companies, I know companies who would want to say like, hey, keep the usage up for a longer period of time, depending upon how much funding you have, depending upon when you want to get the revenue pivot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in our case, we are effectively funding new initiatives from existing revenue, right? So we're big enough where we say, look, we're making money on this side. We're going to take some of that money and put it into this bucket. Uh, it's not making money in theory. So effectively, we are our own internal VCs, if you think about it. That's that's one right. way of thinking about it. It's like, okay, we are taking money from a revenue-producing bucket into an investment bucket, and the investment bucket has to pivot at some point. So like, all right, we're going to invest two years, one year, three years, I don't know, plus all the yeah. usage is going to go up to this, really, right? And honestly, uh, I don't know of a benchmark, uh, you know, in my mind, I've kind of pulled the plug on projects after you know, a couple of years and it's not generated revenue, it's not generated usage. Um, in general, if it's generating usage, if it is kind of in the right, then then I don't pull the plug on it and we try to monetize it. Uh, uh, and there's no, I don't have like a simple formula that says like, look, if I get, you know, 10 million users or 1 million users or 1,000 users on the platform, then then we start you know, aggressively monetizing it. Um, it's a little bit of a little bit of a gut, a uh, little bit of competitive kind of kind of where everybody is, um, and sometimes it's also like that the the new tool helps us sell our existing products. So that's also mm-hmm. a, a pretty important element in terms of how we kind of model this is to say, well, the new tool can make us money, or the new tool can help the existing tools make more money. Um, and and kind of you combine the two offerings together, right? Uh, this is the classic example of like, look, uh, you know how you know Power BI is frankly kicking Tableau's ass, uh, you know, because you know Microsoft decided that Power BI is going to give them, be given free or nearly free, mm-hmm. uh, along with uh, along with their Office 365 subscription. So yeah. in that way, so they they were able to leverage kind of like they were expanding the pie. Of, of the office space right now, so they go to they go to the CIO's office and say, "Hey, look, you get you have to buy Office Space 65, and we give you Power BI free for that, or almost free for that." So it's an expanded. Right. Although Power BI is a new product, a new new solution, it's not brand brand butter productivity tools like you know Office 365. So this is a good kind of that's a, that's the direction Microsoft took, um, and frankly, that's working pretty effectively for them, right? Uh, Power BI was led to the market at least compared to Tableau. Uh, and other, you know, BI and visualization tools, but they are kind of, you know, creating tremendous market share because of, you know, because of, you know, because of their enterprise penetration. So going back to your point about, you know, what is the benchmark that you kind of convert from kind of usage to revenue? I think it's, the simple answer is how much cash you got. <laughs> simple, right? And the, yeah. the bottom line is like, you still have to pay the bills. You still have to do all that stuff. So you have a kind of like intrinsic, at least in our mind, we have an intrinsic amount in our heads. So, okay, we're going to put this much cash into this initiative. And as you start burning through that cash to get to the point like, okay, look, you know, same argument like any VC would have or any any other funded operation would have. Like, okay, look, at some point, and whether it's three months, six months, one year, two years, um, that's really dependent upon your conviction in that particular uh, direction. Right. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit. And and this is probably like the part I've been most excited to chat with you about. Uh, both, both, both of us are are in the business of like, 
measuring measuring things like measuring experience measuring like you know me- measuring customer attitudes so on and so forth and uh i think i think you recently you know question pro has been uh has been promoting its insights hub uh research repository platform we recently acquired considerably and that's our research mm-hmm. repo pr- platform uh and i i think i think that w- what i'd love to do is like switch gears from talking about like how question pro thinks about its own product and growth to think about like hey how do you build a tool that enables people uh that are trying to understand their product and growth like what is what is the underpinning of a research repo that makes it valuable for someone that's trying to like basically collate multiple data points right like what like why is that different from how we've been doing it today in your opinion well the first thing is democratizing insights the way i look at it is like you know as you said earlier on like you know we are servicing customers who are collecting data producing insights producing recommendations that's kind of the bottom line really right uh for the growth of the business for growth of profitability to any number of different um you know for you know usage and so on and so my thesis as i talked to everybody was that yes um a lot of information has been produced but it is not truly democratized nobody has access to it or people do have access to it is episodes and anecdotal so that is that is in my mind that is an efficiency problem so ultimately we are not doing research for the sake of doing research obviously right so obviously everyone who's doing research is towards a larger end goal is yeah. and the larger end goals are you know generally financial generally typically and you know typically it's financial but obviously in some cases it could be usage based but under underpinnings are always you know at least in a capitalistic model that we live in it's generally financial right that that, right. that is the proxy so 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 if you kind of step back and say like okay there are researchers doing research you know towards a towards a goal and 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 are we producing you know the kind of insights that is you know that 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 furthers that goal and more importantly you know are those insights getting buried in the cacophony of everything else that's going on um mm-hmm. and yeah, and in general the process that i have seen companies do like oh we we'll commission a study we'll go go forward with this process and then at the end of the study make recommendations and then it dies really right and then we're done you know um and there are like you know you know obviously there are economic incentives to do more research to keep job security and or from a vendor perspective to say like hey i want to do more research the next time you want to know a little bit more yeah. uh but i think from a company's perspective there are two or three key elements that will get lost and number one is continuity of kind of resources and personnel like i mean if, if the head of research walks away from your company you know a lot of information that he knows is in his head and everything goes away so i think you know so so that's that problem is a, a is a real one and the second one is really around democratization is like you know you know it shouldn't be the job of one single group in a particular company that knows everything about research it should be the job of all the marketing managers all the folks in the company that are actually making decisions from a day to day basis have access to that information in an easy accessible digestible way really right so those are the two key elements that i think about uh, and and that's why you know we are and i believe this that every single research organization will need a system whether it's you know mm-hmm. whether it's a system like intertab or it really needs some sort of a system to manage all the data that they're collecting all the insights that they're producing and democratize that not just it's not a database of sorts but actually a database on one side and then yeah. democratization on the other side so that easy ease of use and ease of accessibility is also important right because having a database generally in your in your back office is not is not is not going to you know is not going to democratize the insights so i'm pretty convinced that 
this is a system of record. Another way to look at this would be if you look at the CRM, if you look at you know other functions in your organization, if you look at sales as a function, all right? Sales does not operate without a system in most companies yep. today. And that system of record is the CRM platform. Let's put it that way, right? Marketing does not operate without a system. And what is that system? Typically, it's HubSpot, Pardo, any one of these systems, really, right? Some marketing stack, really, marketing automation tool. It's not, it started off as marketing automation, but that is the underlying system of record. You talk to a VP of mm-hmm. marketing. So you know you talk to a VP of research, like, okay, what is the system? And the system cannot be, I have a bunch of Excel files and a bunch of spreadsheets. And yeah, yes, it can be yeah. a, a SharePoint file, uh, but that's a pretty rudimentary, in my mind, it's a pretty rudimentary system. Um, yeah. And that needs to evolve into something structured, like, you know, you know, sales teams evolve from a, you know, from an Excel spreadsheet managing leads to obviously a CRM platform, really, right? Sure. Same thing with marketing. Marketing just start off with, oh, okay, we only have a MailChimp subscription. No, no, we need a marketing stack. We need we need email marketing. We need landing pages. We need a bunch of different, you know, marketing tools all in one, you know, and, and that becomes our system of record. And that, in my mind, research has the same problem, really. Uh, there, there's got to be a repository. And same thing with software development. You know, you don't you don't write a single line of code until unless you have a repository. You have GitHub. That's it. GitHub is your so, you know source of truth in terms of what what is your source of truth. So I ask people, mm-hmm. if you're in a role and what is your source of truth for your job function, and if that answer is not, it's spreadsheets and SharePoint, then then there's room for room for efficiency and improvement. There. And it's a long answer, but that's what I think. So to tie this back to what we are talking about before, where a, a product, uh, you, you decide to build a product to solve a certain person's problems. Is this solving the problems of the head of research or the person that the head of research r- reports to, or is it kind of higher than, you know, just one person's problem? It, it is the head of research. I would say like this, this, this solves the problem for head of research. So, so the head of research becomes single point of choke point. Like, okay, look, you know, everything I've talked to almost like, even for a large organization, like, you know, I, the head of research, everybody talks to him and say like, hey, wh- what do we know about X and he goes around internally figuring out what is like. So you know, so he's the he's the final point. Like if the head of research for a big organization quits and walks away, the organization loses a ton of internal dynamics and internal information, which is from an org's perspective, it's it's a huge loss. Um, And because we don't have because you know the organization has not invested in a system of record, really, it's like you know, it's like running running an entire sales organization with a single VP of sales with all the deals in his head. Well, it just defaults to tribal knowledge as opposed to like, uh, like it's you're vesting the knowledge in the person, and that's super inherently risky, right? Like, from an old perspective, that is a it's a massive risk. Uh, and fundamentally, even the researchers have you know, the head of research, they've told me, like, I don't want to be the single point of failure, right? If I walk away, I want to leave a legacy of yeah. a systematic legacy of. Uh, everybody who who's working is thinking about legacy in one way or in one way, shape or form, right? Like, yep. okay, I'm I'm running research for this organization. I'm not going to be working here for the rest of my life. Obviously, nobody's working anywhere for for you know more than a few years, realistically. So, so do I create a system where after I leave, all the, all the stuff that I've done continues on? A from a resourcing perspective and from a process and systems perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, I'll build a team, but also I'll leave a process and a system that that is you know. You know, you know, from a maturity perspective, higher than what I found it. So that's the way I think about it, right? That's how. That's what I've talked to almost all the all the heads of research, and they've said, "Yeah, we want to leave. It's not that this this you know we want to leave a system in play. Uh, we mm-hmm. want to have a system in play 
because we know systems survive long periods of time and and systems are efficient systems are uh, are democratized systems can be controlled so, and all all the kinds of things so that's why you know that's why i'm betting big on on the resource repository idea simply because you know this is this you know i see so many parallels between sales marketing software development all of them have these systems of record whereas research does not have a system of record or at least not that mature of a system of record mm-hmm. right now. yeah I think I think there's this uh, like with with research repos. The way we think about it is like, hey, it's like a memory palace for your organization, right? You guys mm-hmm. are expending like immense amounts of effort into into like sending writing, sending surveys, like you know, collecting customer co- like customer service requests, and and then like running usability tests and so on and so forth. And and to your point, right? Like the the head of research, like all of that data is relevant to him, but the head of research is not sitting down poring over usability tests, like individual individual videos, et cetera. Uh, but, but this allows for, allows for like all of that data to be present and queryable. So like I can, as the head of research, ask like esoteric, almost like overarching questions of my data and have that surfaced. And what, something that's very exciting to me is like, I think, I think where AI really has a lot of power here. Like we, like, I mean, like with, with the search in AI, like putting, putting AI, AI enabled like searching or parsing of the re- research repo will allow for such powerful utility. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I am, what I'm curious about is like when you, w- once you have a research repo and, and you're also the research tool provider, how do you balance like, Hey, I, you know, do I, do I, do I put up like a forbidden city type of wall where I'm like, Hey, I'm the research. You can use my repo if you use my tools where of mm-hmm. course that's tempting, but like, is yeah. that really a repo unless I let you pull in stuff from other places? Right. Like, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, great question. So I think that, so obviously from a company's perspective, the repository should be tool agnostic. The input data should be as wide and as functional as possible. So, so my viewpoint on that is that the research repository should be able to ingest um, content from not just one tool, but multiple tools. Um, otherwise it's just, you know, same as like, if you think about it, um, same as with Salesforce. Salesforce is your system of record, but Salesforce integrates with pretty much every goddamn thing um externally right from a proposal management system to a lot of lot of different ancillary functions that salesforce does not do um even competes with um they integrate with um so salesforce has obviously an internal signing model you know for like docusign but they also obviously use docusign as well as ecosign and so on so forth really right um I, 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 and and from a research repository perspective one of the controversial and interesting, I believe in this, that you can actually make the research repository almost like you can put out data and have people build on the repository also, right? I mean, I think Uber did that. Uber's Insights teams basically said, you know what, we're going to make this thing available and you can create stories and insights on top of that, right? Anybody, mm-hmm. anybody in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the user community, in the internal user community, it's not yeah. only the research team that is creating kind of insights, you can look at everything and anybody in the organization, it's a little ballsy move, I will tell you, yeah. right? And, and I think that that's, you know, it's almost crowdsourcing research if you think about it. Like here's all the stuff we know, okay? Here's everything mm-hmm. we know, but it's open to everybody. And you can create on top of that and say like, look, you know what? Based on these three things, I think this is what, this, this, is, this is a piece of insight. And you can put it on top of that really, right? That could not have been done earlier on. So the question, you, right. you, you talked a little bit of, you know, 
and I think it's it's DNA as well as like you you need to have a different viewpoint on research, really, right? Like, okay, look, we are we are guardians of kind of collating this information, but there could be other folks who can actually come up with better better insights than even he, even us, really, right? right? So so that would be um, that's another that's one direction, right? And we've seen you know some people really are very scared about that. Uh, to be blunt, they're like, no, this is my job. I, I'm like letting other people do my job. Right. Um, maybe um, my my personal opinion is that like, well, maybe other people can do your job better than you, actually. So they're closer to the business. They can look at all the stuff and come up with better insights than you can. Um, uh, I think it's a little bit more adopted. My my thesis is that like in, in, in product oriented companies are like, oh, okay, you know, that's an interesting idea. You can, it's like crowdsourcing ideas. Like, you know, are you the only guy who can come up with the best ideas? No, actually there are lots of other people who can come up with better ideas. Same right. thing. Like you can look at research and say, all right, all the, all the, all the research we have, can you, can somebody else come up with a better insight based on the same data, which is not part of the research team at all, by the way, right? Is not. And so that is a kind of a democratizing move. Um, I think you know forward-looking companies can do that pretty effectively and 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 really like change the game over there. But for that, obviously, you need to have a system and some level of checks and balances and systematic way of doing it has to be there. It's kind of, you know so that's kind of the that's the mechanics over there. So uh, and, and to your point about can can these systems be connected to other systems absolutely i mean you can't just live it's an ecosystem model really not yeah. necessarily a world garden model my thesis yeah. would be like it has to be an ecosystem model that that makes a lot of sense all right well you know we're at uh, a little over 30 minutes now so i think it's time for us to go ahead and wrap up um thanks so much for joining us viv it's been a great episode before we hop off of here is there anything you want to plug anything you want to let uh the listeners know about Ah, you want me to sell more software, more plugs? Always. Software, you, you've earned it. <laughs> no, no, all good, all good. Just, you know, I think, right. uh, you know, I think, I think I've, I've talked about this enough. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I think you guys are doing a great job and putting the show together. So it's, it's a good, good fun to see how things are going, moving along. Thank you. Yeah. Great time. Uh, we'll see you at our next board meeting. Most likely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Obviously. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not going to go soft on you anyway, because you know, money is money, brother. Uh, you know, we got to go. So. Yeah. All right. Cheers, All right, guys. Right, Take care. Bye. Bye.